Hello, I'm Miranda. And I'm Lucas, and welcome to this special Halloween edition of that Yorvik Viking Thing podcast. Tonight, we will be reading four tales filled with trepidation, ghosts, and ghouls. Each story will be recorded live and read from the spooky tome. So grab a comforting hot drink, turn off the lights, and wrap up tight. In medieval times, the Holy Church taught the faithful that the good and the righteous shall ascend in glory to the kingdom of heaven whilst the wicked and the sinners shall be tormented in hell. But for the souls of those who were morally ambiguous in life, things are far less clear-cut. Some speak of purgatory as if it were a distant, separate place, but there are accounts from the Middle Ages of tormented souls haunting the dark, moonless nights within our world, violently lashing out at the living in desperation. Let the following tale be a reminder that a lifetime of sin will result in a terrible price to pay in the state of living death. So without further ado, this is the tale of the Haunted Moorland. In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, Our Thing is a virtual place where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. This unsettling tale of poor, unfortunate souls occurred not far from this place, north of the city of York, on the quiet, lonely roads that weave in and around the wild Yorkshire moors. It happened during the reign of King Richard II and was recorded in meticulous detail by a brother of the Cistercian Order in an anthology of eerie tales in which the living crossed paths with the unquiet dead. A Yorkshire tailor who went by the surname Snowball, who dwelled in the town of Ampleforth, was traveling home from Gilling upon his horse. The hour was late and the road was dark and eerily quiet, and our tailor had the most unwise decision to travel the secluded, lonely corner of the country all on his own. He was, however, alert and on the lookout for danger, wary of brigands and robbers that may lurk in the ink-black shadows and he wore a sword upon his hip to defend himself from any man that may dare to assault him. Though he was, of course, unaware that the being he would encounter that night was no longer a man and had no fear of sharp blades, for it was already dead. The tailor had heard no noise for some time besides the wind rustling through the dried-up leaves, and then he halted his horse for he heard the noise of movement, something wet and dripping. But then he heard a quack, and it was clear that this was a harmless sound of ducks washing in a nearby stream. He calmed himself and made ready to continue his journey, but then he heard the sound of great flapping wings. He looked up to see a huge dark shadow swoop down from the night sky, which began to fly in circles around him. The winged creature then suddenly crashed into the road in front of him and lay motionless as if dead. So the tailor dismounted to inspect its remains. Now that it was still, he could see its dark feathers, dark wings, and the shape of its beak, and it was clear that it was a large and evil-looking raven. 
He crouched down and reached out to pick up the strange dead raven. But before he could touch its jet black feathers, he saw sparks of fire begin to shoot out from the sides of the bird. The tailor immediately leapt back away from it and made the sign of the cross whilst uttering, I forbid thee in the name of God to bring harm upon me. The raven, seemingly recovered from its fall, stood up and then flew once more, screaming as it soared upwards, spraying fiery sparks from its body. The tailor scrambled back upon his horse and urged his mount onwards to hastily leave this haunted place. But the raven followed, and it swooped down from above, striking the tailor in the side with unnatural strength, knocking the man from his horse and delivering a surprisingly painful wound upon him. He lay upon the road motionless for a time, feeling amazingly weak and deathly afraid. But then he summoned his faith, which gave him the strength to rise again and draw his sword. The raven continually swept down from the opaque heavens, intent upon striking another blow upon the tailor. So he swung quick and powerful blows at the bird, preventing it from harming him, but he never managed to strike a wound upon the terrifying foe. This continued for a while, with neither opponent finding much success, though the tailor grew increasingly weary from the weight of his blade and the great wound upon his side. So he chose to shield himself with his faith in the Almighty, calling forth the name of God and shouting, God forbid that you have the power to hurt me on this occasion, but be gone. Upon uttering these words, the raven instantly withdrew its assault and screamed as if in anguish, flying away into the darkness. The tailor continued his journey, though carried the cross of his sword upon his breast in fear of his winged foe and his terror was not at all misplaced, for the raven returned. It swooped down upon the road before him, and then shifted its shape to that of a great dark hound with an iron chain upon its neck. This new form was far more horrifying than its previous shape, so the tailor then uttered, What will become of me? In the name of the Holy Trinity, and by the virtue of the blood of Christ, from his five wounds, I demand that you speak, and do me no wrong. If you are some damned human spirit haunting the moorland, then reveal to me why you are in this state and how your circumstances might be remedied to end your violent hauntings. The spirit then howled, barked, and groaned terribly before shrouding itself in infernal flames and twisting its shape, becoming translucent. It began to whisper, though instead of a tongue, it formed words with its entrails, saying, It is your fault that I haunt you. For this night, for today, you have neither attended Mass nor seen the consecration of our Lord's body and blood, which gave me the power to appear before you. In life I committed a terrible sin, and as punishment I was excommunicated from the Holy Church. The Spirit then revealed the name it once held in life, as well as the shocking nature of its sin, which I dare not repeat here to you tonight. It then told the tailor, To end my hauntings, you must go to the city of York and seek out a certain priest to absolve my sins. Then have nine and twenty masses celebrated for my soul. I shall give you the name of the priest, and then you must decide. If you do as I ask, then I shall reveal how to heal the wound I have inflicted upon you. But if you choose to ignore my request, then know that in a short time the flesh surrounding your injury shall rot, your skin shall dry, and then fall utterly from your withered body. The tailor, now utterly terrified, agreed to help the spirit, and asked how they should meet again. To which the spirit answered, 
Meet me alone at Byland Bank when your task is completed. Ensure that you have upon you the four Gospels and the name of Victory, Jesus of Nazareth. This will be for your own protection, as there are far darker spirits than myself which haunt these dark places of the world. Even now as we speak, I sense two dangerous spirits watching with interest. One shaped as a raging fire, and the other in the form of a deadly hunter. Go now, before they draw closer. And I would urge you to complete this task quickly, lest you die too in a state of sin and join us wandering spirits upon the moor. The tailor mounted his horse and fled in terror back to his house, where he lay ill for several days, afflicted by a sickness that manifests in those who encounter the living dead. When recovered, he traveled south to the city of York and sought out the priest whom the spirit had named on that fateful night, locating the holy man within one of the city's many churches. He begged for the priest to absolve the spirit, whispering the name it once held in life. And after consulting with his colleagues, the priest suggested that absolution could be offered perhaps in exchange for a generous donation to the Holy Church. And once five shillings had changed hands, the spirit's absolution was written by the priest upon a piece of parchment. The tailor then visited York's multitude of monastic houses, asking all the orders of friars to celebrate Mass for the Spirit, as instructed. And then he finally went into the graveyard to perform the most unsettling part of his quest. Under the cover of night, and with a shovel in hand, the tailor found the grave of the Spirit's human body and exhumed the decaying corpse. He was of course worried that he would be seen, but he also felt an indescribable sense of dread as if evil, invisible eyes were watching his actions. He then produced a piece of parchment that the priest had provided, and he carefully placed it upon the skull of the dead sinner, before burying the bones and rotting flesh, and then fleeing the scene. Then, one evening, the tailor made his way to Byland Bank, where he drew upon the earth a great circle containing a cross. He then placed four holy reliquaries in the form of a cross upon the edge of the circle and these had written upon them the words of salvation, like the name of our Lord and Savior. He also carried upon him the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as other holy words. And he himself stood within the middle of the circle where he anxiously awaited the arrival of the Spirit. After some time had passed, the tailor heard footsteps approaching, and then saw a goat emerge from the night, which thrice went around his circle, and suddenly it keeled over as if it were struck a mortal blow, and then its corpse began to shapeshift. It took on the form of a man, a horrifyingly thin and wasted man who loomed over the tailor with enormous stature, appearing more like an animated human carcass than a living, breathing man. The tailor plucked up the courage to declare, I completed the tasks as requested. Has my labor been of service to you, spirit? To which the spirit responded, Yes, praise be to God. I am well aware of your labors, for I have been stalking your every move and observing your every action. No wonder you felt terror when you exhumed my bones, for I was behind you with three devils of hell who tormented me at every opportunity since our last encounter, for they were aware that I will soon leave their custody. Thanks to your efforts, I shall ascend into the everlasting joy of the kingdom of heaven with 30 other fellow spirits but not until next Monday. The tailor was shaken to hear how the spirit had followed him, but was pleased that it would now be free to enter heaven. Upon asking how to heal the wound that the spirit had inflicted upon him, the spirit answered, Go now to the river, where you shall find an exceptionally broad stone. 
Lift it, and beneath it is a certain sandstone. You must wash in the water and then rub your body with the sandstone, and this shall heal the harm that I laid upon your body. But your soul is another matter, for you yourself are stained by sin. You are unintentionally a thief, for you have wrongfully kept the belongings of a friend who parted ways from you long ago. I urge that you travel to the town of Anak and return these goods, lest you become a lost, wandering spirit, like myself and the others which have gathered to spy upon us here. There are other spirits here, inquired the frightened tailor, to which the spirit replied, I cannot reveal their names, but know that you are powerless to save them, for their sins in life were so great that they shall find no remedy before the day of judgment. Leave this place and leave these tormented souls behind. And with that, the spirit departed, absolved of its sins and ready to enter heaven, though not until the following Monday, of course. As the spirits vanished, the tailor became aware of the other spectral figures in various shapes staring out of the darkness, one of which had the form of a bull with no eyes, mouth, or ears. The tailor shuddered and fled, securing the healing sandstone and making his way home to Ampleforth. As he looked over his shoulder, however, the blind, deaf, and speechless bull seemed to stalk him. It had no way of communicating with the tailor, who quickly returned to his house, where once again he lay afflicted with the sickness from the night's encounters. The bull departed, and it still stalks the moors with the other spirits to this very day, seeking in vain to absolve its sins in the same manner as the first spirit. But some sins can never be forgiven. Well, that was a weird story, wasn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> it? I don't know what you mean. It seems perfectly normal. Um, and if anything, it's, it's you know, it's based on a true story. Yeah, it's 100% true. Completely yeah. factual. I mean, so do you want to tell us about that? How, how is this based on a true story? So this story comes from a medieval compilation of spooky stories known as the Byland Abbey Ghost Stories. So Byland Abbey is in the North Yorkshire Moors, just a bit north of the city of York. So it's quite a local story. York made a little cameo appearance as well. And Byland Abbey was home to Cistercian monks. And one of them wrote down this collection of stories. So you know it's got to be true because monks don't lie, no, do no, they? they're not allowed. <laughs> it's a collection of 12 supernatural tales written around the early 15th century, we think. Some of them are quite long, like the one we just told, and quite spooky. Some are quite a bit shorter. Not quite as spooky, I have to say. <laughs> um, and interestingly, they're set in the rural communities of North Yorkshire and all about ordinary people encountering ghosts. So they feel a bit like local folk tales when you read through them. And there probably were quite a lot more of these types of stories in medieval times. They just weren't written down, unfortunately. So it's the tip of the iceberg for medieval horror. I love it. I love the idea of a monk just sitting there writing down ghost stories. It's almost like, you know, old-fashioned fan fiction, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a ghost story, but these are not like ghosts that we kind of hear about today. They're not the ghosts that are featured in, like, paranormal activity movies or anything like that. Are these ghosts? Well, yes and no. I think the idea of ghosts and the undead and the supernatural, they vary so much between different cultures and throughout time as well. So if we go back to the medieval period in England, where everybody is Catholic, people believe in heaven and hell, 
and purgatory as the place for dead spirits to go. So ghosts that just sort of haunt a house going, they don't really fit into that very well, do (laughs) they? So heaven and hell are very distinctly separate from our world. Therefore, purgatory is this kind of explanation for why ghosts might exist. It's this temporary, intermediate place where souls are purified before they move on. So these stories, they are not necessarily a representation of kind of official church doctrine on spirits and the supernatural and purgatory. This is probably a local rural Yorkshire interpretation of what they think ghosts and purgatory are all about. And um, it was a weird character arc, ghost, wasn't it? It was, <laughs> and I, like the fact that like they all kind of shape shifted, and like they were animals, but then one of them was a, a blazing fire, and some of them didn't have facial features, and it all made it even spookier, but also super weird. Yeah, it was a little bit all over the place, wasn't it? Yeah. This one. Generally, these ghosts, they seem to be viewed as people who die without confessing their sins. Therefore, they can't get into heaven. Because of this, they rise from their graves and seek help from the living, but for some reason take on horrifying forms, which doesn't really sound like the best way to find help, I've got to say. I would not want to help, like, a faceless cow. I I just wouldn't, you know? So the ghost in our story here today, this one took the form of a raven. Then I believe it was a dog that spoke with its entrails. Well, it was a dog and then it was a skinny man who yes. spoke with his entrails. Oh, and yeah, a goat yeah. that and walked a, in a circle a and fell over. Yep, um, yep. And it's definitely the most violent and creepy of the ghosts that pop up in the various stories in the Byland Abbey ghost book. Um, the writer actually refused to tell us the name of the ghost and the nature of their sin, which is a bit creepy, isn't it? It is. Why Why not tell us? I mean, the guy's dead. Well, he may have been a very important person. Maybe the person who wrote the book was worried. People might go, oh, I knew him. Oh, he did really bad things. No surprise, he didn't get into heaven. Oh, <laughs> gossip. So he didn't want to offend the friends and family, maybe, of the ghost. Now, we can only speculate what the horrible sin he committed might have been. Well, especially because, like, it had to be only kind of middling horrible, because otherwise, surely he would have gone to hell, right? Yeah, and the, the other ones that stayed behind, they couldn't go to heaven. He said, oh, you can't help them, they've got to wait till Judgment Day. Yeah. So it's a very middling sort yeah. of sin he seems to have committed. Yeah, like tax fraud, just eternal Maybe. tax fraud. Um, in the other stories, in this same book, there are some quite boring sins that these um, ghosts have committed. Give us an example. Then. Um, one of them stole some spoons. <laughs> right. Uh, another one let his cows overindulge on his master's corn. Right. Another one ate some meat during Lent. So the standards to get into heaven, they're very, very high in Rigid, the 15th aren't century. They? Yes. Well, I mean, like, the, the ghost in our story even tells Mr. Snowball that, like, you know, he's a sinner himself. But, like, his sin was that he accidentally took something from his friend. Yeah. It's not even, it wasn't malicious. He didn't, he didn't pocket his friend's stuff on purpose. It would just be, like, me borrowing a pen from you and then accidentally keeping it. Like, sin! Sin! <laughs> They just had really high standards. Definitely, yes. So these ghosts who've committed these horrible sins, like taking a spoon, they seek help from the living to get into heaven. Uh, One of them um, helps a man carry a bag of beans to get into heaven. Nice and easy. Another one finds a priest to hear his confession. Very good. 
And then our raven ghost injures and blackmails a tailor out in the wilderness. <laughs> and into... then bribes the church. <laughs> like, and... say these say these 29 masses for me, but only for a fee. And then exhume my corpse. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the most extreme one by far, definitely. Um, the ghosts, they we explain the few that this one appeared as. They sometimes appear as decaying corpses as well. And they don't seem to look like themselves when they were alive, which is interesting. Because our ghosts always just kind of look like that person generally, don't they? Yeah. These are just shape-shifting abominations. Ooh, <laughs> um, creepy. I do like that in one of the other stories in this book, um, there's a ghost that appears and it's described as a revolving canvas with four corners which rolls away. <laughs> Right. So, not not the spookiest one, but it does sound a bit like that kind of ghost that's a white sheet with two eye holes. Do you I know mean, what I mean, yeah, sort of? Apart I from do, the rolling away thing. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's got four corners, so it sounds like a canvas that you'd paint. Yeah. Or maybe it's like a, a painter in purgatory or something, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Poor little canvas ghost. Sometimes in these stories as well, the ghosts have an aversion to water as well. They won't cross over a river. And that's a thing that pops up in some modern stories about the undead. People say, you know, the undead can't cross running water. And so maybe that's the origin of that kind of modern myth. (laughs) And of course, as the tailor in our story realised, it is futile to resist a ghost if they seek your help. So he tried to have a sword fight with the raven. That'd be very interesting to watch. Um, (laughs) And he failed completely. He um, in, in the other stories, in the Byland Abbey book, there is a ghost that even follows a man for 80 miles, which is quite horrifying, because our modern ghosts are trapped in a haunted house, typically, aren't well, they? Well, yeah, and I mean, 80 miles by, like, horse or something, that would take forever! Yeah. That particular ghost then even picks up the man it's following and throws him into a hedge. <laughs> and it's not malicious. He goes, mate, I'm trying to talk to you. <laughs> I stole some spoons! <laughs> I'm your priest. I need a bag of beans, stat. And as I said earlier, these ghost stories, unfortunately, they're few and far between, but probably quite widespread. So the Byland Abbey ghost book, it's a little hidden gem of spooky horror from the medieval period. I mean, maybe next year we'll adapt the Spoons one. It sounds utterly horrifying. What was the weirdest part of this, do you think? Okay, okay. So there's, there's a couple of things that stick out, but for me, it's got to be that the ghosts are allowed to ascend to heaven on Monday. Why Why do they have to wait? There's no explanation. I found that a bit weird when I read that. There was no footnote from the no. or- from the translator. That's, it's just amazing. Because, like, if anything, if they had to wait for any day, surely it would be Sunday. You'd think so, yeah. Um, maybe, yeah, the gates of heaven, St. Peter doesn't work weekends yeah, maybe, or something. Maybe. Business hours. <laughs> um... And there's a load of other spirits going with him. With him. But like, um, how did their sins get absolved? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, there it, were just there were just so many questions. It raises more questions than answers, really, doesn't it, this story? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then, like, my, the other part that I really liked was that, like, he had this weird infection in his skin or whatever that yeah. river water and a, and a stone were able to cure. But, like, does that mean the ghost is, like, magic? I, I, ha- mm. I just had so many questions. A bit of exfoliation gets rid of it yeah, in the end, doesn't nice. it? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it mentions in, in the translation I read that if you encounter the living dead, you get sick for some reason. Yeah. 
Um, there's all sorts of stuff we've not got fully explained there, which clearly the, the medieval people of North Yorkshire would go, makes sense, makes yeah. Sense, Ghost Raven touches you, you got to exfoliate, you're sick for a few days, yeah. What was your favourite part then? He's got a weird name, doesn't he? He Mr. has. Mr. Snowball. Mr. Snowball. Uh, just at the start, it mentioned his name Snowball, but forget that, moving on, ghosts. <laughs> it sounds like a cat's name, <laughs> to be honest. It does sound like a cat's name. I'm fairly sure the cat on The Simpsons is called Snowball, isn't it? <laughs> and, um... Is there a poem? I, I I had a cat named Snowball. She died. She died. Mum said she was sleeping. She lied. She lied. S- season one, I think that's it. <laughs> so I was thinking that when I read this, the cat from The Simpsons. I <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean maybe the maybe the Simpsons cat's out on the moors. No, maybe, you never yes. you never know. I mean, <laughs> that was a pretty fun episode, but next week it's your turn to tell us a spooky story. It is. Yes. Have you got something fun in store for us? Yes, I do have one in mind. I'm thinking, so we're going to move around time periods a little bit. I think we'll go forward in time just a little bit. We'll leave the medieval world behind and see what people in the early modern period thought about horrifying spirits, etc. Ooh, spooky. (laughs) Can't wait. (laughs) If you liked this episode, you should go and visit our new exhibition, The Bard at Barley Hall where you can explore the history of York through the drama of Shakespeare and learn all about Barley Hall's unexpected role in the revival of Elizabethan theatre in England. With exhibits from York Archaeological Trust's own collection and costumes from movie adaptations of Shakespeare's tragedies and comedies, you can purchase your tickets now at barleyhall.co.uk. Don't forget to rate and review that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show... Share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favourite history podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Yorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology, hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, produced by Miranda Schmiederer, Lucas Norton, and Gareth Henry. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.